Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score, the clean audio version. I have a full, healthy voice because I didn't talk for two weeks. BK's got his home set up with all the sound dampening panels and everything set up. So uh, we should be just liquid magic in your ears. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, Nate. How are you doing tonight? Doing good. I actually got a question for you, BK, and this is this is really, really important. Um, you're a young man. You're an engaged man, but you're a young man. So you've been in the dating scene, uh, not in the too far past. Um, when you were on dating websites, how tall were you? So I was never on a dating website because I met my fiance my freshman year in college. And so I never really had to go on them. However, like if I were to list my height weight somewhere, I would be six foot one. And Ooh. you could you could maybe push it up to six two, but probably six one. Um, in reality, like if you met me in person, I'm probably just over six foot. Like just over. And when I say that, I mean, like I basically meet the mark for six foot. But, um, yeah, if, if I were to list myself, I would say six one. So when I was uh, in the dating pool many decades ago, uh, I think I listed myself as seven three. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I definitely put it at six two. I could probably get six two on a good day and I'm not hunched over like I constantly am because I have a terrible posture because I can't hear anything and I got to stoop over to listen to what you have to say. If I'm straight up six two, but on a bit any other day, I'm probably about six one, like flat. The reason I'm saying that is because the biggest liar, liar, pants on fire people that I know when it comes to height and weight are whoever the dudes that run college football roster websites, because, oh, my God, the fluctuations, A, are crazy, but B, also very, very much a lie. And if you want any kind of confirmation that listed heights and weights are more suggestions rather than ironclad information, take a look at the Missouri football roster that was updated last week. BK and I were laughing our butts off talking about this last week. We have got a shrinking football team, ladies and gentlemen, hmm. breaking news. Um, I went back and looked at the listed heights and weights of all of the players from last year that are still on the roster for this year because I had nothing else to do, apparently. Um, here's the deal. Between the 2020 roster and the 2021 roster, the number of guys whose height shrunk is 24 guys. 24 guys <laughs> lost an inch between 2020 and 2021. 28 stayed the same height, and eight actually gained an inch, including Kiki Chisholm, who is now 6'5 for some reason. On the weight side, nobody stayed the same, which that, that makes sense. You're a college athlete, ebb and flow, even if you were rounding up to the nearest five, you know, a couple cheeseburgers here and there, a couple nights at El Rancho there you know, guess what? You're going to put on some pounds. You're going to cut some pounds. That's fine. So no one stayed the same weight. But 26 players from last year's roster to this year's roster gained weight, but a whopping 34 lost weight. So overall, you've got a team that's shorter and lighter. Yeah. And I I don't know what that means. I, I couldn't tell you what any other season looked like. I don't know what the rest of college football looks like. I do know, BK and I, you, you and I have talked about this, that a lot of times these guys have not been in person, like the new guys have not been in person, but that's not what we're talking about. These are guys who are on the roster last year who are on the roster this year, and they're getting shorter and lighter. Uh, BK, what what do you think about this? I know it's a gigantic nothing burger, but what do you think about when I say the team is shorter and lighter? It's interesting. Uh, it makes me wonder if there was a concerted effort to get faster. Um, the shorter side of things, I'm guessing that's just a measurement discrepancy. I don't frankly know what happened there or if guys are just like, yeah, I said I was 6'3", I'm 6'2". Like <laughs> Brady Cook, for example, right? Last year he was 6'3", 220. That's like your prototypical freshman quarterback coming in, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the statuesque quarterback that you would see kind of on a, on a poster. Now he's 6'2", 205. Well, that kind of sounds more like what Brady Cook looks like. Mm -hmm. um, so it's probably more accurate. And it's actually 207, which means that I'm guessing this is his real weight. There's not really a whole lot of reasons as to why you would put two, uh, 207 pounds onto a sheet. Um, but it, it looks to me like last year, there were a few more that were kind of, yeah, he's probably 200 pounds. And 265 sounds about right for him. <laughs> eh, we'll put down 200. Like it, it was a lot more round numbers last year. Whereas this year, like, Dalen Carnell, he's listed at 211. 
That's oddly specific. Yeah. Um, Gerald Nathan Jr., 214. J.C. Carlisle, 204. Nobody is really that rounded, like, zero or five. Those are typically the rounded numbers. And so I think that that kind of tells you, okay, these are probably their real weights this time around. Yeah. Bazelak, for what the, For whatever that's worth. And a lot of them, it's just discretion of, like, five to ten pounds one way or the other. So it's not all that significant. It's not a lot. No. I mean, yeah, like, Bazelak's 212. Like you said, Cook is 207. Um yeah, Elijah Young at 185. I guess that's pretty normal, but like Mookie you know, Cooper 174. Yeah, like very, very specific. And here's here's a couple of things that I noticed that stuck out to me when I was looking at the updated roster. Um number one, our running backs. And the ones that I'm really pointing out here are Tyler Beatty and Elijah Young, who we're kind of projecting as the starters based off of tenure and previous experience in production, especially with Beatty. Both Beatty and Yun are under 5'10", and they're both under 190. And I know, BK, you and I have kind of talked about, like, oh, Yun's going to be kind of the thunder to Tyler mm-hmm. Beatty's lightning. Well, uh, maybe, but also maybe not, because they're both 5'9". Uh, sorry, Tyler Beatty's 5'8". Oh, my God, he's shrunk, a, shrunk an inch. He is 5'8". Elijah Yun is 5'9". Tyler Beatty is 194. Elijah Yun's 185. So they're almost exactly the, the same size player. I mean, does that change your opinion of how the running back stable is going to shake out? Not really, um, because we've just we've seen guys like this. I mean, I, I've made the comp to Naheem Hines a million times, and I will continue doing so. So if you're sick of hearing it from me, uh, newsflash, you got another three months at least of hearing this. Um, <laughs> Naheem Hines is listed in the NFL at 5'9", 195. Tyler Beatty is listed 5'8", 194. So if you're looking for a comp, I mean, we've seen this not just from some random running back at a random university that made it to the NFL and was whatever, a uh, fifth or third round pick or whatever it was, um, fourth round pick. This was Eli Drinkwitz's main running back one season at NC State. He was the lead guy. So if you're looking for some history as to what this could look like for Tyler Beatty or Elijah Young or the combination of the two, that's it. So it it doesn't bother me a whole lot that they're small. I knew they were small. We knew this going in, right? It it shouldn't surprise anybody that they're both kind of lighter, faster, agile guys. That's how they profile. Now, if you're looking for somebody that could be a little bit on the bigger side of things, I would point you to Taj Butts, who is 5'11 and 210 pounds. He's a freshman out of DeSmet in the St. Louis area. That is more your prototypical thunder to the Elijah Young, Tyler Beatty lightning. If you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Or Michael Cox, who showed out during the black and gold game. He is six foot two twenty. Um, Big dude recruited as a fullback out of Atlanta. Um, so yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't really, I'm with you. It doesn't really change anything because we've seen them run. We've seen them play and we know kind of what the style they like. And you can be successful with any kind of style, almost any kind of body type. So that shouldn't make a big difference. I was just curious because, you know, you you think you have these concepts in your head of how they look. And, and then you see how they actually measure out to you. You're like, oh, that's kind of odd. Um, if you're looking for the person who stole all of the height, though, look no further than Simi Bakari. Because while every other person on the roster has been shrinking an inch, Simi Bakari jumped from 5'11 to 6'3", ladies and gentlemen. 6'3", 209. Not really. That's clearly a clerical error. But I would laugh my ass off if Simi Bakari is now six three. That is a large gentleman. If he if he grew four inches in his freshman or I wow, it's his senior year. His senior my God. Year. I can't believe he's been around that long. If he grew four inches in one year at the back end of his college career, that's that's a hell of an accomplishment. Hilarious. Um, I I mentioned his name earlier. I I do kind of want to hone in on the fact that everybody else is kind of shrinking a little bit. And then you look to one of the freshmen in Dalen Carnell, who's 6'2", 210. Mm -hmm. That is a massive corner, man. It really is. Like, let's not overlook for a freshman just how large that is. And I know we've talked a ton about how this, this staff really does look for that height, weight, speed at the corner position in particular. Zaquan Reeves, 6'1", 200. Ish Birding, 6'1", 190. Uh, J.C. Carlisle, 6'3", 205. Carnell, like I said, 6'2", 210. 
a lot of these guys that we see as potentially being on the outside, Rake Straw, six foot, 172, very small, but six foot has that length that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys really do fit that criteria that we've talked so much about, even after the more realistic measurements came in. Yeah. Dalen Cardell, 6'2", 211 is massive. So is Darius Jackson, 6'2", 175. Saquon Reeves, I'm sad that he's no longer 6'3". Um, <laughs> Rivals had him at 6'3". I'm like, that's so cool. And nope, not anymore. But still, yeah, big dudes. Big, big dudes. Um, and I just saw on Twitter before we jumped on that uh, Zaquan had a 3.15 GPA. He is on the um, scholar wow. baller sheet uh, that they have up in the weight room uh, with a big old board with everyone's picture in their GPA for the last semester. So good on Snoop. Um, another one that's, I don't want to say concerning, because we've seen him play, we know what he does. There's no surprise here. Daniel Parker Jr. is went from six four two fifty to six two two thirty five. I don't care who you are. That's small for a blocking. That's small for any tight end, but certainly small for a blocking tight end. The argument you can make is that the low man wins, and we've seen him just truck fools anyway. But like, that's probably the biggest shift from a downgrade a shift in size on the roster. Is this something, nothing, doesn't matter? What do you think? That dude's just strong, man. Um, I, I, he went to Blue Springs, which is my alma mater, so I know him a little bit. I do think 6'2 is probably around the right height for him. I don't think he was ever 6'4. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're just looking at the pure weight, I think last year a lot of the weight that he carried was bad weight, and it, it was. wasn't his fault. This is yeah. not me like calling him out by any stretch. We've talked a million different times about how difficult of an offseason he had with the eye issue and um, I mean, there, there was a point in time, I think, where he he wasn't sure he was going to be able to play football again. Mm -hmm. So for him, I think this offseason is just about getting back to football shape. And I actually view it as kind of a positive that he is getting a little bit lighter. I think Daniel Parker Jr. has the chance to be a really, really good player for Mizzou this year. And I actually, if you're looking for a guy that could kind of change the way that we think about him in 2021, we haven't really talked about this a lot. I think Parker might be up there on that list. I'm not sure he's going to be exclusively a blocking tight end this time around. I think he's going to be a guy that can block. He's He came to Mizzou as an offensive line, defensive line prospect. He ended up kind of scooting over to tight end. I think he's going to be a little bit better in the passing game than people are expecting. So far for his career, 40 targets, 29 catches, 240 yards, and a touchdown. 100% uh, catch rate his freshman year, 65% catch rate his uh, sophomore year. And last year he was at 72% catch rate. So, I mean, he's got decent hands. He doesn't drop the ball a lot. He's not going to get you a lot of yards. You know, his yards per target is about three, roughly. But He's that leak tight end. You, yeah. You, you run play action. You need six yards. You run him kind of uh, either through the flats or as a crossing route with your, your quarterback kind of booting out the other direction. And you feel like you can get him into some mismatches that way. You know, one of the things uh, – around the time of the NFL draft, they talk about two-star, three-star and two-star, but specifically two-star guys who get drafted really, really high. And the question is always, well, how did that happen? How did you overlook this guy? And the answer is usually, well, he played in a small town or he didn't get on the circuits or, you know, he was kind of small in high school, then hit a growth spurt in college, that sort of thing. But the key is, 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 is especially for those, is that if you are smaller or lighter, you put on the weight and you don't lose your quickness or you don't lose your burst. And I'm telling you guys, if you want to talk about dudes who have grown <laughs> into their frame and fingers crossed have not lost any bursts and like are, can still be really functional offensive linemen, look no further than our possible tackle tandem. Bobby Lawrence, 6'9", 319. Mitchell Walters, 6'8", 319. Hiron White, 6'7", 320. And then the freshman... The 18-year-old freshman, Jamarian Gooch, 6'7", 370. Now, 370, 6'7", 370 is an inch taller and 35 pounds heavier than Larry Borum when he showed up on campus, and he's one of the biggest dudes that Missouri's ever recruited. Now, Larry had a lot of bad weight. I'm assuming 370, not all that is good weight. He's going to get yeah. in the gun club. He's going to cut a bunch, and he's going to kind of get a little bit more athletic. But my God, BK, if these guys can be that big, and be quick and ferocious, like that is a hell of a starting tackle tandem. That would that's that's the get off the bus type of guy. You have them go first and just scare the bejesus out of everybody else. 
Yeah, we saw a little bit of a shift. And some of these guys that you just mentioned were a part of it under Barry Odom, where they kind of went to more big guys that could come in right away and play as opposed to what we saw under Pinkle, which was, okay, let's get some really good athletes. Maybe they play tight end in high high school, but they've got the frame to put weight on. And then by the time they're done here, junior, senior year, they'll be 6'3", 6'4", 275 to 290. These guys are not that. I mean, anybody that you're looking at really on the offensive line right now is somewhere 6'4 or above and 305 and above. That's kind of the, the thresholds that Mizzou's looking at right now. And all of the guys that you mentioned certainly meet that with flying colors. It's been interesting to watch the transition that Mizzou's gone under, and I do think it plays to what the league is. You look around the league, all of these other teams are doing something similar, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why they're doing it. It's because this is the way to be effective. You've got huge athletic offensive or defensive linemen coming out of the SEC, and you've got to have some length to be able to go up against that. Absolutely. And then on the opposite side, we'll move on from, from height weight talk for, for now. Um, one of the things when, when Ryan Walters left and Steve Wilkes was hired and specifically Jethro Franklin came along with him, the question kind of arose, okay, so what's going to happen with the defensive line last year? Walters employed kind of a hybrid system. He liked the four, two, five. We, we played the five defensive backs, two linebackers. But the defensive front was a 3-4 front. And what we mean by that is that we basically played three true defensive linemen, one tackle, two defensive ends, big defensive ends. And then they converted the pass rush specialist from like a 4-3 set, so like your d- typical defensive ends. They called him uh, what they call him a buck or a Russian, basically. Mm-hmm. Had them a sta- be a stand-up pass rusher and made them a specific different position altogether kind of just like an edge player in general so the question is with steve wilkes coming in and jethro franklin kind of managing the line now what what's going to happen are we keeping this three four defensive line with a four two five backs uh back seven are we going back to a more traditional four man front i don't know but one one of these things we do and this is what we do because it's the off season let's read the tea leaves of the change in height and weight not height but definitely in weight specifically look at trajan jeffcoat Last year, remember, he had been gone for the team for a year. He came in. He was 6'3", 265, was a monster, totally dominated. He's now 6'4", whatever that means, but he's 276. And then Isaiah McGuire, who was kind of a defensive tackle, defensive end tweener, last year was playing at 280 pounds. He's down to 266. So those are two specific guys who could play end who one got lighter, one got a little bit heavier. Now they're a little bit closer to each other. And then Akil Byers, who last year was definitely a tackle playing at 6'4", 305. He's now at 6'3", 288. So not a huge difference, but still lighter. Yeah, 15 pounds is a decent amount to lose in one off. It really is. And it makes me wonder, okay, is this a schematic thing? Is, is Byers going to be more kind of like a pure defensive tackle with Kobe Whiteside more as a nose, who also lost two pounds, by the way. Um, are we trying to get thicker ends? And I bet you he's lost more than that, Probably. but it's just it's listed at two yeah, pounds. Yeah, I mean, God, Whiteside was playing at like 400 by the time the yeah. season was over just because he was so beat up. It was a rough year. Um, but you, you look at these changes to try and glean anything you can about scheme. Um, I mean, does this, does this scream like a four-man front to you, or is this just like, ah, we'll see when we get to practice? I think it's going to be a four-man front. I kind of always felt that way. And a lot of that goes back to what we have seen in the past from the new defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. But I don't know, man. It's just I I think that Steve Wilkes is a really good coach. And when I think of what good, good coaches do, they're going to play to their strengths. So if you end up having five defensive backs that stand out in practice this fall and only two linebackers look like they're worth their salt, well, then, yeah, you're going to spend your, the majority of your time, or at least you should, in the nickel. If you find that you only have like three D-backs that you really trust and you've got a bunch of linebackers that you want to get onto the field, okay, well, that changes some things. But regardless of however they play on the back end, I do think you're going to see uh, the majority of the time in a four-man front. I think you'll see, like, Trajan Jeffcoat, I bet you, stands up with his hand uh, out of the dirt a little bit. Same thing for Hansford. I think you'll see a, a occasionally where he's lining up 
um, in a three-point stance. So if you want to call him a linebacker on those and you call it like a 3-4 hybrid, whatever, it's all the same. It's a four-man front. They'll treat it that way offensively. So that's what it is. But you'll see some of that and you'll see some zone blitz stuff where maybe one of those guys drops into coverage. Regardless, however you want to classify those specific schematics, I think you're going to see a majority of the time a four-man front. I think the questions are how many D-backs versus linebackers you'll see on the field. Yeah. Yeah. You could see times where there's only one linebacker on the field, man. I'd be if they want to bring that. a safety down into the box. I'd be good with that. We got the safeties. We got a ton of safeties who can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Last one, I promise. <laughs> Harrison Mevis, our dear, beautiful freshman thicker. He's going in the right direction, BK. He's shorter now. He's 5'11". He's also 16 pounds heavier. Hell yeah, brother. 236. 236. All in his ass. Um, no, it's all leg, man. He is he is just a a tub of extra point kicking, field goal kicking, deep ball destroying footman. And um, I, I love the fact that he's heavier. In fact, I hope he leaves campus 280. Can we do it? Can we do it? I don't know. Let's find out. He's gonna be uh, what, what was his face? The the Pillsbury Throw Boy. What, what was his name? <laughs> Jared Lorenzen. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's Absolutely. gonna be the Jared Lorenzen of kickers by the end of his time here. God, That's gonna be that. great. I would love that. Um, did I see this right? He was named as one of the uh, preseason All SEC guys. I saw that. I he was on the that. fourth team for the SEC. I didn't why, know we were doing Why do we count that now. far? <laughs> why do we count that far, guys? Uh, a third of the SEC had a kicker make it. <laughs> Well, at least it was our kicker. Um, yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna, Tyler Beatty also named the fourth team. I, I saw that. I was just like, why, why are we counting that far? Like, I just, I will say I, I would not be surprised. It, like if Mizzou was going to get a first team, all sec guy this year, I would probably put Trajan Jeffcoat right up there. I think that Harrison me, this would be pretty close. I would say so. If he keeps the accuracy, Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant McKinnis, I know, is very well respected as a punter. That might be another option, but it always feels like LSU has like some Aussie punter who just destroys everything. So you know that's that's tougher to win. But um, hey, you know maybe Connor Bazelak decides to to get all SEC too. Yeah, you know, hey, I'm here for that. Yeah. That would mean very good things for Mizzou. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of good things for Mizzou, look at that transition. Hot damn! Um, we had night at the zoo. Last week, uh, we talked about it a little bit on the last show. Uh, Karen did us a wonderful did a wonderful job of curating all the tweets and keeping a running list of everybody who was at uh, NATZ. I, just side note, BK, anytime I see NATZ, Night at the Zoo, I always read it as like Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards, the Nazi. Yeah. Nazi. Uh, I don't know if that's what a little we, different. I don't know. If a little the, different. I don't think we want to call it that, but, you know, NATZ, Night at the Zoo. It went off well. Um, the, the tweets are always very positive. You don't want to ever see anybody say, Oh, this freaking sucks. Like, no, you're going to have a great time. And it doesn't in the end, what matters is that they sign. And truth of the matter is that not all of these guys are going to sign with Missouri. That's, that's not it. The point is that you get the majority of them to sign. And who are we talking about right here? Well, we're talking about obviously the big names. Yeah. Luther burden, five-star out of East St. Louis, Toriano Pride, the four-star out of Lutheran North, Gentry Williams, an athlete out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Cortai Vincent, his BFF apparently, uh, DJ Wesselak out of Boonville, Chris McClellan, defensive tackle out of Owasso, Oklahoma, and Mecca Megua, running back out of Texas, Dominique Orange, defensive tackle from North Kansas City, Micah Riley Ducker, a tight end that we've been going after for <laughs> feels like a year uh, out of Bellevue West in Nebraska. Uh, Jake Mikula, uh, offensive lineman out of Ballard Christian High School in Denver. Caden Green out of Lee Summit North. It's a 23 guy. Uh, Brett Northfleet, tight end out of Francis Howell. Also a class of 23 guy. Jaden Doss, wide receiver wide receiver out of Ray Peck. Um, just a ton of guys. Plus, on top of that, everybody who's already signed. So, you know, you're talking about um, Sam Horn was there. That's a big deal because that's your blue chip quarterback. Uh, who else was there? I think we had our tight end. Uh, we had... Um, Max Wisner was there. We had Armand Mimbu was there. Just a bunch of guys who had signed, a bunch of guys that Mizzou wants to sign, all hanging out, chatting, playing foosball and video games at Drinks House. And 
nothing was going to come of it. We knew that going in, and it certainly was that coming out. But all signs seem to say that it went well. But again, it doesn't really matter until they sign. So is this... Do you just enjoy the good vibes until they actually sign, or does this mean anything to you? I think it means a little something because of what Drinkwitz has made turned this into. When this first began back in 2016, it was kind of a camp for basically anybody that wanted to come, right? It was mostly Mm -hmm. in-state guys at the time, and Barry Odom came up with this as more or less a way for them to evaluate players than it was like a recruiting trip. Mm -hmm. And then uh, under Odom, credit words due, it did kind of transition more into this is a recruiting thing. And it was the Tiger 10. You had all of these different things that took place at the night at the zoo. I think that Drinkwitz has kind of taken the idea of what this was, the concept, and built it into something that Drink wants it to be. So now for Drinkwitz, what it is, is an exclusive day where the best recruits that Mizzou wants to land are in town together on campus talking about how cool it would be to play at Mizzou together. And I think that's really valuable. I mean, they got Luther Burden, as you mentioned, a five-star wide receiver, Toriano Pride, a four-star cornerback, a four-star defensive end, a DJ Weselak, a three-star defensive tackle that, based on the offers, is more like a four-star defensive tackle and Dominique Orange. Um, a couple of guys for next year that are four-stars and Caden Green and Brett Norfleet. These are really high-level in-state slash just the other side of the river in Luther Burden, East St. Louis, guys, and having them all on campus at once is meaningful. Now, eventually, as you said, the only thing that really matters is that they sign with Mizzou. That's that's what Drinkwitz is going to be graded on. It's what, where does your class rank and who did you get to sign with Mizzou? Doing stuff like this is the way that you make it cool to sign with Mizzou. And I think that's something that Drinkwitz has done a really good job of. And I wrote about this for the website last week is he's done a good job of making it feel cool to commit to Mizzou. Because think about it. Put yourself in an 18 year old shoes for a second. I think sometimes we have a tough time doing this. Imagine you're going around walking to classes every day and you're the talk of the town, right? Everybody wants to know where Nate Edwards is going to college. Where is he going to play? Who's he going to play for? Well, what do you think makes a bigger buzz in your local community that is exclusively geared towards, man, did you see Nate Edwards play Friday night? Yeah, I finished with 150, a couple touchdowns. They got a shot at state this year because of him, right? Like that's that's what this is. What lands for that area is Nate's looking at Alabama, Georgia, and Mizzou, but let's be honest, he's looking at Alabama and Georgia. And then if he ends up committing to Alabama, like, holy cow, he's going to play for Nick Saban. That's amazing. He got a, he's got a chance to win a national title. It creates more buzz to go to those big universities than it does to stay home to play for the local school in little old Mizzou. That's not a shot at Mizzou. It's the reality that Eli Drinkwitz has been handed and that he's trying to change. And so I think it is noteworthy that he ends up getting these kids on campus and they talk about how cool it is and how Eli Drinkwitz is just this like understated guy, but a guy that they would really love to play for. And DJ Weselak had a comment to 24-7 Sports that really stuck with me. Said, this is one of the best classes to come to Mizzou. And it get talking about last year's class. And it gives Mizzou a chance. They're doing something special. They're br- they bring a lot to players' attention there. They'll be a big name school with Drinkwitz if they keep doing what they're doing recruiting-wise and win a lot more games there. That last sentence is what matters to recruits. They'll be a big name school with drink. It is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy for some of these universities that they sign a top 10 to top 15 recruiting class. And that's what Drinkwitz is trying to build. He's trying to make it cool to sign at Mizzou. So that way in the future, they're not recruiting at a disadvantage against teams. Not like Alabama, they're always going to be at a disadvantage against them or Texas or USC, whatever. But some of these like more pure programs, Arkansas, um, Florida to a degree, South Carolina, Kentucky, when Mizzou's up against those types of places, that's where Drinkwood's making Mizzou the cool, quote unquote, school could actually have a tangible impact. And I think Night of the Zoo, stuff like that is a, is a way to that end. Absolutely. It's, it is. It is tough to buck the trend of 25, 30 years of 
yeah, you're good sometimes. Mm. <laughs> like, like that's 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 just what Mizzou is. It's the local option that's sometimes good when they put it all together. Alabama's Alabama. Like you said, Nick Saban is Nick Saban. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes, man. Like, that makes an impact. But having all of these guys buy into a vision and trying to make something a desirable place, trying to make it better, you're right. DJ Weselak is right. Winning games counts. And especially for these talented guys who are looking to get into the NFL, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you're talented enough, you can play anywhere. The NFL has personnel staff, like 25 dudes deep, who do nothing but look at college football every year. They'll find you. But that's not really the point. The point is that you want to build your brand. You want to be, you know, Alabama built. You want to be... um LSU built, Ohio State built. Like, you know, oh, Ohio State defensive back, they're awesome, right? Oh, Alabama defensive end, linebacker, oh, they're awesome. Now Alabama's got wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks. Like, knowing that you have that brand, that stigma on you, that goes a long way to really kind of break a tie with NFL personnel people. With all the measurements and everything that you've done, but then you also got that boom. Nick Saban coached this guy. So that's what Drinkwitz is trying to go up against. And and he, he's done a great job so far. I mean, what this is the second recruiting class that he's been handed, the second full recruiting class that he's working on right now. Um, he is doing everything he can to buck that perception, to improve what this school can be in the recruiting sense. And yeah, you're right. This is this is one of those things. And like having his house really close to the stadium so you can go and like have a couple of hot dogs, swim in the pool, you know, play some video games like that's I hope brilliant. people saw that's that story. That's, that's such a wild thing. Why is that a bylaw? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't understand it. But yeah, apparently Drink's house is like, you know, a stone's throw from the stadium. And if that's the case, then you can you can have recruits stay at the coach's house. And so that's what he did. I don't know if he built it or he bought it, but he's got some gigantic mansion in Columbia, Missouri, walking distance of the stadium or whatever the measurement is. And yeah, just have come on, grill for the guys, swim in his pool. He's got a sweet pool, man. God, it's just, the, the dude gets it, right? He gets recruiting. He's not some old school guy who's like, oh, I'm going to coach you up and make you better. Like He makes connections. Yep. He's a personable guy. He's going to coach you up, yeah, but he's also going to have you buy. He also seems he to have a really great staff, right? So it's it's not just Drinkwitz, yeah. but he has a staff that really connects with these players, and I think that's an important part of it as well. And if you're on the defensive side of things, like I don't know how this staff is going to be. I have no idea. It's impossible to know because we haven't seen the proof on the field. But their sell which is kind of what they're branding it as of getting to getting you to the NFL because they have NFL coaches on that side of the field. It does play. If these guys are Mm -hmm. interested in making it to the league and they want to come get coached by NFL coaches. I mean, it didn't work for lovey. So there that's the downside, right? We've seen this fail and it wasn't far away from Mizzou, but lovey seemed to kind of be done. He wasn't all that interested in coaching at the college level. He, he didn't have a lot of time for recruiting. These guys seem to have the time for recruiting. They want to go out there and make those connections with players. So it, if it hits, it could work really well for Mizzou. I think uh, Eli's a, a very, a bit of the Nick Saban mold. I, we've talked about this before on the, on the podcast with Nick Saban is, you know, first thing every morning, he calls his staff in puts their call records and text records up on the board and says, why isn't this better? Or tell me what you're doing. And I know Mario Cristobal over in Oregon has done the same thing. And it, it makes other coaches mad because it means they have to step up their recruiting game too. But that's how he does it. He, he is a tenacious recruiter, first and foremost. And um, you know he's also a defensive savant huh. on the side, but for what that's worth. But like it, it, that's, that's the difference. And I, I get the feeling that Drinkwitz and, and, and Casey Woods, who's the recruiting coordinator, probably the same vein where they're like, yeah, we're going to talk about scheme and development and all, and you know, game plan, but also where are your calls at? Show me your text messages. Who are you talking to? Where are we at with this guy? And like, that seems to be more important than, than with Pinkle or Odom. 
And, and that's kind of how you have to play it in the SEC because that, that's what everyone else does. It, it is. And I think they've got the right staff in place to do it now. Um, I think they've been working yeah. towards that over the last couple of years. And I think now he has kind of fleshed out his staff. And this is going to be an organic thing. There's, there's going to be changes every year. That's how it works whenever you're not in a Gary Pinkle coaching staff. There's always going to be a little bit of turnover. There's going to be guys that take better jobs elsewhere. There's going to be guys that Drinkwitz decides, you know what, it's just not working the way we hoped. Let's both make a clean break for, for both of us to be able to move on in a better direction. It's going to happen because that's how it goes in college football. But the staff he has in place right now, man, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a whole lot of sense. And one of those guys in Aaron Fletcher has some connections that uh, might be of interest for Mizzou right now. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about last show, the Tulsa cornerback tandem that's that's in the transfer portal, uh, Allie Green the fourth and, and Caleb Evans. Uh, Evans was on... He was on campus, I think it wasn't at night at the zoo, but it was around It was there. last weekend, yeah. It was last weekend, that's right. Um, saw the pictures on Twitter. He was posing in the uniform with, uh, I saw Charlie Harbison, uh, Jethro Franklin, or sorry, Steve Wilkes and Aaron Fletcher in the picture with him. Um, so, like, they're, they're pushing out the guys who are gonna be, who he's going to be working with. He's got the connection. So, George is just offered. <clears throat> like, I think... Evans was on campus on Friday and like Georgia offered on a Saturday or something like that. But he said that it's coming down to like Notre Dame and Missouri, basically. Now, Georgia folks, I follow a bunch of Georgia folks on Twitter. They're very confident that Evans is coming to Georgia if one of their corners hit the transfer portal. And lo and behold, that guy did today. So they feel very confident, even though Evans has not been on campus. It all seems like it really it's coming down to Mizzou and Notre Dame and we will see. He said he was going to make a commitment soon. Um, I'm not sure what what time frame that's going to be or what, but um, right now, I mean, you got to feel good about that, and especially from a Mizzou standpoint, we need corners like you wouldn't believe. We got plenty of playing time, but the team is also very, very young, so that might be something against us, but also it's his old position coach, so hey, there's something to that. Um, it would be a great get, BK. How are you feeling about this, about Evan's commitment? <sighs> I want to say good, but then you hear Georgia and Notre Dame and Texas is what you're up against. And it reminds me a little bit of the situation where Mizzou was up against Alabama and Texas um, for Rakestraw's commitment. And I was like, yeah, they're not going to get him. <laughs> like, there's there's no way that this kid's picking Mizzou over Alabama and Texas. And lo and behold, he ended up picking Mizzou. So mm-hmm. it's just so hard for me to sit here with a ton of confidence and tell you that I think he's going to be here. But I do kind of have a weird feeling that he's going to end up at Mizzou. That connection is not something that is small. Everything that we have read, everything that we have heard about Coach Fletcher is that he makes some really impressive connections with his players. And he's somebody that guys want to play for. And if that is true, that's going to be a pretty significant pull for Evans to come want to come play at Mizzou. Does that override the fact that he could go win an SEC title at Georgia or he could go to Notre Dame and be at one of the most prominent programs in the country where he's going to be on national television every week? I don't know, but that's going to be something that he is absolutely thinking about. And so I, for me... I'm not, I don't have the utmost confidence, but I do think it has a better chance than you would imagine just based on the name recognition alone. I agree. We we just talked about this. Notre Dame is a brand. Georgia is a brand, right? Do you want your, do you want your name out there every week? Do you want to win a title or do you want to play with your old coach and build something? Because again, NFL guys are going to find you no matter where you go. But there's an extra special little stank to you if you get Notre Dame Fighting Irish or Georgia Bulldog. So I don't know. <clears throat> it's it's You could ask the kid, and he's not going to give you an answer. He's the only one that really knows what he's looking for in a program. But, yeah, you got to think. You know, the Drinkwood staff has done so well with building relationships, and Fletcher's got that relationship. He, regardless, <clears throat> I'm with you, BK. The point is that you feel like you can get the guy, which is such a rare feeling for Mizzou recruiting over the past 20 years. We've gone into every recruiting battle and go, yeah, we got a shot. And that's not something we've been able to say, you know, in the past six years. Uh, and it's something that's really developed in the past two. And it's a, damn, it's a nice feeling. Like you want them to sign obviously, but it's nice to think, Hey, we got a shot. Yeah. 
it, it's nice to know that you hired the guy that gives you a chance too, right? It's it's not just mm-hmm. you have a shot for no reason. Like this guy just for whatever reason has like an inkling of wanting to go to Mizzou. You hired the guy that because he is such a good coach and this kid played for him in the past, he gives you a chance to land this guy. So it, it, it also gives me a little bit of faith in what they what they decided to do this offseason in terms of their their hirings for their defensive staff. Absolutely. And and just, you know, along the same lines of you got a shot. Um, during night at the zoo, one of the guys there was uh, was a defensive back out of East St. Louis named Ahmad Robinson. And he didn't have he didn't have an offer at the time, but he came to night at the zoo with his friend Luther Burden. Now Robinson has other Power Five offers. He's he's been in contact with the staff for a while, and he never really kind of gave out who his who his clubhouse leader was. But all these rumors were like, hey, if Mizzou offers, he's gonna take it, and. We all kind of connected the dots and went, okay, so if he takes that, then Luther Burden's got yet another reason to come. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Ahmad Robinson got an offer from the Mizzou staff on Sunday or Monday. I forget which day, beginning of the mm-hmm. week. And they asked, like, hey, are you going to take it? And he didn't answer directly, but his response was, if Mizzou offers, I'm, I'm going to take it. So he's offered. <laughs> his Apparently his, his commitment date's coming up soon, I think middle of June. I don't know if he's going to go early or if he's going to wait until then, but if Ahmad Robinson jumps on, and he's a great player in his own right, a five-seven three-star out of East St. Louis, defensive back, which, hello, we need uh, for this upcoming year. Now we've got Luther Burden, who's his friend, is going to be there. Luther Burden moved to East St. Louis because that's where you get players to develop. Who else is from East St. Louis? Well, Mr. Lovett, our receiver, Mr. Macon, our new quarterback. There is a pipeline that we are trying to rebuild hell yeah from, there is from the ashes of the 2015-16 experiment um that produced you know trevor wallace sims and and terry beckner but you know a couple others that flamed out they are really hey, working man, that's a win Get, getting two guys as good as that that's a win absolutely especially since the other guys didn't do anything in college like we got the ones that counted we are building that pipeline back up because there's a lot of football talent in esl and getting Robinson would be big. Getting Burden would be even bigger. And I don't know what's going to happen, but it just there seems to be a lot of signs of it makes sense for Burden to look here. And listen, he he was on campus twice, night at the zoo, and then a camp on Saturday, and he paid for it on his own. I don't know, man. I I don't want to I don't want to put the the cart before the horse here, but there's just a lot of positivity around Burden's recruitment, and I'm so damn happy about it. <laughs> Let's be clear about what we're talking about here. Luther Burden's one of the 10 best players in the country. See, this isn't just some guy that could be some commit. This is DGB-esque. I want to repeat that. This is pretty similar to being on the level with Mizzou landing Doriel Green Beckham a decade ago. If Luther Burden decides to commit to Mizzou, no, he's not the number one player in the country. Sorry, he's number seven. But he's the number one wide receiver in the country, and currently he's committed to play at Oklahoma over offers from Alabama and Auburn and Florida and Georgia and literally every other program in the entire country. He can go anywhere. If that dude decides to come to Mizzou... That is a almost sea change type of a commitment for Eli Drinkwitz. That's when you could see a little bit of an avalanche of kind of similar to the Doriel Green Beckham. Like, hey, could this be something that ends up being significant for Mizzou with momentum? Luther Burden could be that for this upcoming class for Mizzou. It's that big. Mm -hmm. And if you don't get him, I mean, let's let's just talk about it. If you don't get him, it's not the end of the world. It's a receiver. There's two to five on the field at any given time. Any individual receiver is going to have somewhere between six and eight targets per game. Like, he is a supreme athlete, a ga- a possible game-changing receiver, but it doesn't change your program on the field. It changes your program off the field, in yeah. recruiting, in perception. Oh, this guy chose Mizzou over 
what would you Oklahoma and Alabama and everybody like what what maybe I should check it out too that's the impact that's what DGB's impact was supposed to be that's what this is supposed to be too so it would be a huge get definitely on the field but even more so off the field and the dude paid out of his pocket twice to come to campus unofficially that's a big damn deal guys that's a huge deal I, I don't know what it's going to mean in the future. I, I obviously don't live there. I can't look at a crystal ball and tell you, but you don't do that because you're not interested. You do that because you're listening to the message being spoken to you. And if Drinkwitz has Burden's attention and can hold it and win some games this fall, who knows, man? It, it's just very exciting. Very exciting. That's the biggest thing is you now you got to win. You know, if you're – if you're going to go after these kinds of guys, I remember with the Tiger 10, that was the big thing, right? Mizzou went after a lot of them. And I, I know some of them were legitimately interested in coming to Mizzou. And then they had a stinker of a season the following year. And all of them were like, well, why would I go to Mizzou? I can't win there. There's no reason for me to go there. And so they all ended up scattering across the country. And that's kind of the way that that went. And frankly, a lot of them have been disappointing relative to their recruiting rankings. But... If Mizzou ends up going seven and five this year, eight and four, okay, that's a different conversation than if they go five and seven, four and eight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to go a little bit off off the track here, BK. So we're a little off book here, but uh it's re- it's related to recruiting. And and it's specifically about what are we calling them? Super seniors, graduate graduate students, whatever, roster management uh across the country. Because Coaches are in a situation right now where they have an, an expanded roster of scholarships that for right now, who knows what happens in a couple of months, but for right now is going to shrink back down to 85 scholarships next year. Right. When that, that, that bulk senior class graduates that, that extra senior class. And then you've got what 50 freshmen on a team right now. Um, the roster math is really, really precarious right now. I've, I've read, Stories with unnamed assistant coaches. I've heard things on podcasts about the struggles that they're having. There are programs, blue blood programs right now, who with the roster math and calendar year turnover, they've got eight spots available. Eight. Between what they have right now, what it's going to shrink to next year, and what the overall roster shrinkage is going to be. Those are blue blood programs. We're not even talking about like a G5 team, right? If you're going to expand scholarships, yes, you do it for football, but guess what? Because of Title IX, you have to do it for every other sport too. There's a lot of schools that can't afford that. We just got out of a pandemic. So you have a lot of teams who are not going to have room for every guy that they want to get. And the fallout from this is a couple of things. Number one, the 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 talk around the, the recruiting shop is basically everyone's going to get slow played, right? A coach is going to wait and not take the first guy who jumps. Typically, if you've got some blue chip that you're chasing, but a high three star that's like I will commit right now, you typically take that kid right now, and then you'll figure out how to get the blue chip if he commits. They're not going to do that this year. There's going to be a lot of non-committable offers to three-star guys, even the high three-star guys, and frankly, some of the four-star guys. And these commitments are not going to be happening in June or July or August. It's not going to be the rush that we saw last year, certainly, but it's not going to be normal recruiting like in years past. And what this is going to do is it's going to take away probably about, conservatively about 200, 300 players who want to play in college football at the D1 level are not going to be able to do it this year because of the of the projected roster shrinkage. So <laughs> the joke is that the 2022 JUCO class is going to be the most talented JUCO class of all time because huh. you're going to have a bunch of three- and four-star kids who couldn't make it onto a roster because they didn't have the scholarship math available, and they had to go the JUCO route. So why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because I don't know what Missouri's position is. We know the scholarship count right now. We know it's a lot of walk-ons that are going to graduate and move on. There is a chance that Missouri has more room than any other, anybody else that these talented kids are talking to. There is a chance 
that their offers are committable. Whereas, and I'm not saying like, I know this, but like, as an example, if an Alabama or a Florida or an Ole Miss or an LSU or an A&M or a Texas or an Ohio state or what have you say, yeah, we want you, but not right now. There's a chance that Missouri says we want you and we want you right now. I don't know what that means in the long run. Obviously these talented kids wait till February, you know, to, to commit and wait till December to commit. But there is a chance that Missouri is in a better position than some of these schools. If the roster management that we've talked about, if I'm right on my math and that might make them a more appealing destination for these kids. And so it's just another thing to put out there as like a positive thing for the Tigers. So this is really interesting to me and let's, let's put this out on the front end. The NCAA messed this up and we talked about it at the time. (laughs) Yeah. And it ended up going basically exactly as we expected it to. People are going to be mad about this. It's not going to go and be some hunky-dory situation. There are going to be a lot of kids that get screwed about this. I think what's going to happen here is at a place like Mizzou, for example, we've already seen the start of it at in this offseason. I think you're going to see some of the kids that were recruited by a different coaching staff end up not being here the following season. And like you said, Mizzou's in a better spot than a lot of these places are. Um, and they, they're not going to be potentially as in as big of a roster crunch as some places are. But they do have a lot of freshmen on the roster this year. A lot of them. So some of the kids that are sophomores and juniors wouldn't be a huge surprise to me to see some of them leave after next year, especially if they're impressed by the freshmen that they just recruited on campus. Some of that is because of this situation. Some of that is just natural roster progression. But All the NCAA had to do to prevent this was say, hey, if you're a senior, you get an extra season. If you're not tough, I know this season stunk for you, but you've got one, two, three, maybe four more years on campus. This didn't have to be as hard as they made it out to be. And yet here we are. They screwed it up again and they made something so much more difficult than it ever needed to be. It's unbelievable how. When presented a choice, we know the NCAA will always choose the wrong choice. Like almost every single time. And this is the predictable fallout, like you said. So if you if you really step back and you take you take a three thousand foot view of this entire situation, these past what do you want to call it? These past four years, did the sanctions did did the heavy handed huh. unnecessary sanctions actually do us a favor? by forcing Missouri to shrink their roster before COVID season hit and therefore have more scholarships to play with when it expands and other teams are struggling and Missouri's like, ah, we got plenty to go around. Did that actually do us a favor? Should we actually be happy that Yolanda Kumar did this to us? I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, It's kind of an unintended consequence, right? Where, you didn't see this coming, but then suddenly, boom, the, the the football gods are shining down on you. I mean, if you had to pick a season where you had recruiting restrictions, why not pick the season when no one could come on campus? Everything had to be done over Zoom. Everyone was trying to figure it out. Like, that was really fortuitous. And then on top of that, our roster manager, we've been operating under 85 scholarships for going on two calendar years now. And we've got a lot more to play with. So I, I don't know. It's kind of a, it's me really kind of well, somewhat stretching to turn a negative into a positive, but I think it's, it's right there. Like we actually got the benefit of having to crunch the roster before anybody else during a time of a coaching staff transition. And now we are ready to play and can probably offer a lot more committable offers than any other team. Just so happens right when the state of Missouri has one of the most talented recruiting classes of all time sitting in our backyard, like, I don't know. Just things to make you stop and go. Hmm. <laughs> I love it. I love the way your mind thinks. And let's put it this way. It's a non-zero chance. You're right. <laughs> that's all I need, man. I just, I just need to make sure that I'm not completely wrong. That's, that's all I'm ever asking for. I would not, I would not go that far here. Okay. <laughs> but a lot of the lines of the NCAA screwing up. I want, I want to close this, this week's show with the recent talk about the playoff expanding. I obviously spilled a lot of ink or virtual ink, if you will, um, on specifically the playoff in the past couple months, talking about how it should expand. We talked about the historical reasons. 
the perception, the national implications, how it's a regional sport that plays with national money. It's not very popular. It's incredibly unsafe. It's it, 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 it sequesters a couple of elite teams and pulls them out from the rest of the country and no one else gets to participate. Like the playoff as it currently exists is ruining the sport because it's all that matters as far as talking points and national recognition go. And it makes a very clear divide between the haves and the have nots. And it furthers it even more. Well, the playoff committee, the NCAA playoff committee, whatever they're calling themselves, met in the, over the past couple of weeks to talk about playoff expansion. And I read it, ran a piece a couple of weeks ago talking about what a six team, an eight team, a 10 team, a 12 team, a 14 team, 16 team, what that would look like as far as a playoff goes and some examples. Well, the NCAA came back uh, yesterday, yesterday or today, and they said that they were looking at a lot of options, but the 12 team playoff really has some steam. Now, BK, I'm going to kind of go off on a tangent here. So if you need to go like stretch, take a pee, something like that. Yeah, let me say this up front. This is stupid. (laughs) Here's here's what I have to say. I I think we might have differing views on this, but here's here's my thing. They've said eight team, but you know, kind of focus on a five automatic qualifiers from the P5, which, you know, that's not what you do under like the current four slots. So that would include, you know, a Pac 12 or a Big 12. However, <clears throat> there is a source that, that in the committee that said that there's they were considering no automatic bursts in the expanded field. None. They would give weight to conference champs, but there would be no automatic berth, which to me, if you're going to expand the playoff and there are no automatic berths, then this new system would be so flawed like from the outset that they, they might as well just stay at four. And, and, and the thing that aggravates me the most is completely grinds my gears is that there there are officials there are athletic directors there's coaches there's former players and there's especially journalists people who work in college football that i otherwise respect the hell out of who believe that the quote-unquote subjective element is why people watch the sport and to me those type of people need to be rooted out of the power structure and thrown away I'm not going to name them. You could you could figure out who they are, but they are toxic. They are short-sighted. They are very much clueless about what their own product is good for. And like I said, I wrote 10,000 words on why the playoffs should expand and why that's good. But the whole, this whole um, controversy and argument generates interest crowd. That's, that's all rooted in a, in the poll era mindset that does not jive with modern viewing habits. Cause guess what? Fans have access now to all the games. They have access to all the box scores, all the advanced stats you could possibly want. They see all the press conferences, the hot takes, uh, and 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 the every Joe every fan is is just as qualified as the people on the committee to select a team. And frankly, I think there are people out there who sit in their basement and watch this stuff who would be better at selecting playoff teams than the handpicked committee members. So, the idea that you know wringing your hands like, oh well, what if a team ranked twenty fourth is going to upset a title game and get in, and somehow a better team will be knocked out? Well. Guess what? You shouldn't fear that. That's what sports are. That's why we watch the games. That's why they're played. That's why we enjoy it so much. And the idea that more teams in the playoff cheapens the regular season, my God, if the regular season determines conference championships and a conference championship gets you in the playoff, that's actually making the regular season much more significant. I mean, as long as they set it up that way, which they're not because they're going to choose poorly. It's just, they will screw this up. But in general, Playoff expansion is good. The only reason it's four right now is because they've been gaslighting us into thinking four is good because that's the only way they could get uh, the bowl sponsors to sign off on it. So now that they see how lucrative the playoff is, how it's way easier to expand, they can tweak it because they got that money cannon just fully constructed. But I know they're going to screw this up, and I'm already upset about it. So... I'm of two minds here, Nate. Let me tell you first as a college football fan, and then I will explain where I'm at as a Mizzou fan, okay? As a college football fan, I think this stinks because I know that you said it's kind of hogwash, the idea of the the regular season being devalued. I actually do think there's some truth to that. Um, like Alabama's going to make the college football playoff every year under this system, every single year. You can just write them in stone. Same thing goes for Clemson, um, any of those blue, blue blood programs. 
barring something completely unforeseen, are incredibly likely to make it to the college football playoff under these specific circumstances. So there's that. The other thing that I would add is 12 is just too many. Um, I, I don't think you need to go that far. I mean, if you go back and look at the, the top 12, and I'm not going to bore people with, with going through the names, but go through and look back at the end of the year top 12 polls. How often was there somebody from 9 through 12 that you feel like actually deserved to have a chance to win a college football playoff? It's very, very, very rare. So much so that I don't think it's worth it to include them in the playoff. I think eight is the number. Um, so this is where I get to being a Mizzou fan. 12's great, man. 12 gives Mizzou a chance. You don't have to win the SEC to be able to get in. If it's 12, you could get to the SEC championship game like Mizzou did in 13 and 14, and you probably still get into the college football playoff even if you lose that game. So for Mizzou, this is the best case scenario. You suddenly have a real chance to be a contender on a not year in year out basis, but under Drinkwitz, maybe once every three or four years, you've got a shot to be able mm-hmm. to make this. At least that's the hope, mm-hmm. right? You're you're recruiting right now at a top twenty level. So if he could get in into that top fifteen ish range, which is in play this year, it's not crazy to think every few years you could you could really compete for something like this, or maybe you do it twice in a row and then there's a four year dry spell. Whatever. This is very good for Mizzou. As a college football fan, though, I think it's too many, and I would prefer to see it at eight. Look, <laughs> let me let me put it this way: expanding the playoff is worse for determining the national champion, but better for the sport as a That's whole. Fair. Yeah, agree. Agreed. Yeah, because like it's like the NCAA yeah, tournament. As, like I, I've always said, the exactly. NCAA tournament is an awful way to crown a champion. It's terrible. It is Absolutely. not the right way yes. to go about it. It is not fair in any way, shape, or form. And also, as fans, I couldn't care less because the NCAA tournament <laughs> is awesome. And so do we get yes. the right, quote-unquote, champion every year? No, of course not. Most years we don't, probably. But it is really fun. It is the only month of college football that matters nationally now. And so you could create something similar, although obviously not to the degree of 68 teams with something like no. this. But you could create a month where college football really matters on a national stage. Exactly. Exactly. And don't give me the, oh, 15, 16 games. You know, no, we we threw out player safety last year when we tried them out during a freaking pandemic. Okay. Shut up. Um, So, no, you're right. As as it's currently constructed, as it's currently constructed, college football has got four to six teams who could win the title any year. Now, there's like 15 who recruit at a, an elite level, but only really four to six who could win it. But there's only four or six paths that you could get to the playoff in the first place, so that's where all the talent goes. If all of a sudden you can have an Oregon State or an Arizona or an Iowa State get into the playoff simply by beating all of their conference foes, and now they're in the playoff, okay, hey, there's another avenue. There's a local kid who could go. There's someone who, you know, who can't get it on Alabama instead of gray shirting and winning three years can jump on to, I don't know, Indiana, right? And like, okay, I got a shot now. So no, currently constructed, no, that'd be bad. Open it up, see what happens. Give it 10 years, 20 years. Because again, if you want to determine the best team, you got to just pick four. But if you want the rest of the country to stay invested, if you want kids to keep playing the sport, you got to open up the avenues to more people. And that's what this does. So it's ham fisted. It's not the correct way of doing it, especially if they're not doing auto bids, but you're getting closer. And I feel like it's easier to tweak now that we have it established. So expansion is good, but it's going to be a mess until they figure out the best way to do it. Yeah, it it's better. Let's put it that way. Four was better than the BCS. And this is better than four. It's not perfect, but I'll take better at this point. Incremental upgrades are all I can really ask for from the NCAA. By the time I'm dead, they will have it figured out. I feel pretty confident. No, I don't. Yeah. They will still screw it up. I'm sorry. That was a lie. That was a damn lie. But we'll see. Yeah, as Mizzou fans, you want as many opportunities to get in as possible. Since that's all that matters, and as far as you know, college football, national scale, you play off the only thing that matters. So you need to have a lot of avenues to get in. More teams is a good thing. So we'll 
We'll see what happens, especially with the recruiting and the coaching staff that we have. Like, it could happen. So, anyway, that's the show. BK, any other uh, any other thoughts before we get out of here? I hope next time we talk, we're talking about a couple of commitments. So, fingers crossed on that front. Mizzou really needs a corner, and so hopefully they have one the next time we talk. I certainly hope so. I hope uh, Harrison Mevis puts on another five pounds between now and then. Get it, baby. Um, but yeah, hey, that's our show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all that sort of feedback. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. You can listen to him on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, 10 to 2. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation as well. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U.